I had written an article several years ago called There's No AI Without IA. There's no artificial intelligence without information architecture. And that basically called out the need to structure information and to have good data to feed your AI algorithms. Now, the large language models are getting better at that, but you still need specialization. And then you need the terminology of the organization, and that is the enterprise ontology. And what that does is it lets you specialize these language models according to your intellectual property and to your organizing principles. Welcome to the Future of Product podcast, where I, Max Matson, interview founders and product leaders at the most exciting AI startups to give you an exclusive glimpse into the workflows, philosophies, and product journeys that are shaping the current and future AI landscape. This week, I sit down with a well-known name in the realm of AI, Seth Early, CEO of Early Information Sciences, speaker, and information architecture expert, and author of the AI-powered enterprise. To learn more about how he sees the current AI landscape, what holds enterprises back from adopting AI, and how investing in information architecture can make the transition easy. With all that said, let's dive right in. Hey there, everybody. Welcome to another Future of Product. Today, my guest is Seth Early. He's the CEO at Early Information Sciences, writer of the AI-powered enterprise, and is highly recognized as one of the top thinkers in space. Seth, would you mind introducing yourself? Thank you so much for having me, Max. I really appreciate uh, being a guest here. So yes, I've been in the uh, information management space for over 25 years. And um, the work that we've done has always been about information architecture, information management, information strategy for uh, Fortune 1000 companies, although we do go to smaller companies as well sometimes. And a lot of the work that we do is really, uh, at the end of the day, it's about making information more usable, more valuable, more findable. And it's reducing the cognitive load on the human. And that's what AI is doing these days. And we'll talk about my work related to AI, but um, we have about a 50-person uh, professional services firm and we help organizations in product uh, information management, product data management, mm -hmm. large product catalogs, e-commerce sites. Uh, we help them with content operations and content optimization. That supports personalization. That supports uh, better customer engagement. We work in knowledge architecture and knowledge engineering, which is especially important for cognitive AI and especially with um, large language models. There's a lot of work that needs to be done in that space. And there's a lot of misconceptions that I hope to talk about today. And then we really help with that customer journey and customer analytics and customer metrics, like measuring each stage of that journey so that you know when you do something, when you make a change, when you make an investment, when you do some type of intervention, you know that it's providing value. You know that it's providing a return on investment. You're impacting a metric. And we have a whole metrics-driven uh, uh, governance uh, playbook that we bring to organizations so that they can justify these things and measure them and show, get executive support and get stakeholder attention mm -hmm. and really show that right. they're moving the needle. So that's a little bit about me and my company. And uh, of course, uh, I wrote the AI powered enterprise, um, which is about what needs to happen in order to be successful with artificial intelligence projects. Um, one mm -hmm. of the folks over at MetLife a guy named uh, Peter Johnson, who runs all of their AI programs and has been in AI for 40 years through the AI winter, said this is a practical guide to getting real business value and separating the noise from the hype. And that was a great uh, that was a great uh, accolade. And, and we've got some great uh, feedback. The book won an award. And I had written an article several years ago called There's No AI Without IA. There's no artificial mm. intelligence without information architecture. And that basically called out the need to structure information and to have good data to feed your AI algorithms. When uh, Ginny Romney was, was CEO of IBM, she actually used that phrase at the World Economic Forum in Davos, Switzerland, when, when she was asked about why AI has had some difficulty with adoption in many businesses. And she said, there's a funny saying, there's a funny saying in our industry, <laughs> there's no AI without IA. And she went out to explain it. But that was my, um, I originated that phrase, that catchphrase. And it really does kind of encapsulate um, the, the essence of what needs to be done when it comes to AI. That algorithm is important, but the data is almost more important. Right. Absolutely. You have to have good input to get good output, right? Absolutely. 
Yeah. So you, you mentioned your book, uh, The AI Powered Enterprise. Um, in it, you emphasize the importance of ontologies, mm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, would you mind kind of explaining for those sure. who aren't familiar with ontologies kind of sure. what they are? Sure. So many people are familiar with taxonomies, right? A taxonomy mm-hmm. is a hierarchy. It's a, it's a list of values, parent, child, whole part relationships. Mm-hmm. You know, Boston is in Massachusetts and Massachusetts is in, is in the United States. So that's a hierarchy. Right. Um, we have lots of different hierarchies. You know, you have tools and then power tools and then drills, right? That's a hierarchy. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and then there's all sorts of attributes around that. But the point is that when we build hierarchies in the organization, there's no one single grand galactic Uber taxonomy, right? There are mm-hmm. multiple taxonomies. There's taxonomies around products, around services, around solutions, right. around processes, around interests, around uh, customer types, around regions, around everything that you can name in the organization will have a set of terms that describe that entity, right? So mm-hmm. when you put all of those together, when you have all of the different, so for a life sciences company, it might be, you know, drugs, indications, diseases, uh, um, biochemical targets, mechanisms of action, you know, generic compounds, etc. When you put those together and you start relating them, so you say, here is the uh, mechanism of action for this drug target, right? Or here are the solutions to these problems, or here are the services that go with these products. What you're building are what are called associative relationships. And when you build all those potential relationships between the taxonomies, you're building what's called an ontology. An ontology can be considered the knowledge scaffolding of the organization. Mm. You know, people think about it, it allows you to do things like build knowledge graphs. If you have an ontology, which is the framework, and then you add the data to that or you use it to access the data, now you have a knowledge graph. And the knowledge graph allows you to access information in lots of different ways. If you think about IMDb, the movie database, right? Mm-hmm. You have all the movies and then your directors and the actors and all the different uh, people involved in the different roles and the awards. And so you can go from one movie, uh, look at the director and say, what did what other movies did this director direct? And then you mm-hmm. can say, what actors are in this movie? And it, it's the way we play Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon, right? When you right. want to find out what movies these two actors have been in uh, over time that, that mm-hmm. connect uh, these people together. And so that is an ontology and a knowledge graph. And the knowledge graph lets you traverse structured and unstructured information. It allows you to do Mm -hmm. things like build search-based applications. It allows you to understand the what and the why, right? The the what is the structured data, the why is the unstructured information. And it allows you to build out um, cognitive assistance and virtual assistance that are powered by the ontology because the ontology can also take other elements of a virtual assistant and it can uh, take, say, dialogue snippets and so on, but it also will manage all of the other metadata and descriptors that you need in order to access information for a virtual assistant. So, for example, we now have ChatGPT and large language models. Well, a large language model um, is in some ways, uh, in some aspects, an ontology, right? Because different mm. language models have different incarnations, but uh, you have you use a generalized language model to understand the English language or other languages, concepts, terminology, mm. relationships. Then you use a specialized language model for an industry that has, you know, the com- that, that has the specific terminology of that industry because life sciences mm-hmm. will be different than auto industry and insurance. Now, the large language models are getting better at that, but you still need specialization. And then you need the terminology of the organization, and that is the enterprise ontology. And what that does is it lets you specialize these language models according to your intellectual property and to your Mm. organizing principles, your specialized terminology. When I look at something like a chat GPT, you know, if everybody used the same thing, if everybody used that same large language model, that's great for efficiency, but it does not give you competitive advantage because there's no mm-hmm. differentiation. You differentiate right. based on your knowledge, based on mm-hmm. your understanding of customer needs, based on your expertise, based on your ability to solve problems. So to use a large language model like a chat GPT, 
you mm-hmm. actually have to point it to your knowledge in your knowledge base. And that That's knowledge true. has to be enriched with metadata from the ontology. The ontology can, mm-hmm. build, can, can be used for customer identity graphs to understand all the attributes of customers. It can be used for personalization. It can be mm-hmm. used to improve search. It can be used to uh, fine tune, again, these language models. And again, what we're trying to do is in a chat GPT generative AI situation, you will have hallucinations if it doesn't have the answer, right? Right. Because it'll make up the answer. But if you restrict it to a particular knowledge source, it will use that knowledge source and you can have an audit trail. You can say, I use this. This is how I got this answer. But again, Mm -hmm. there are some very specific things that need to happen with that in order for that to work correctly, because you can't just assume you can throw it any knowledge at it, right? It has to be the right knowledge. It has to be in the right form and it has to be structured correctly. And when that gets embedded into well, you have, what are called embeddings with that metadata gets embedded into the content and that gets ingested into a vector database. That's what chat GPD or large language model can use to specifically target and use your your knowledge and your competitive advantage, your IP, and not expose it to the world, right? Because right. That's what's critical about that. I know that was a very long answer about uh, apologies, <laughs> so let me stop no, no. and see what else you have there. That was a great answer. I um, It actually kind of ties into something I was reading today, which is that um, somebody from Google uh, actually came out and said basically, you know, there's no moat around this, right? Like we, there's no moat around this technology. It's already being open source. Yeah. Um, yeah. This is something that's going to become a utility, yeah. right? Everybody's yeah. going to be using it. Yes. Um, so it sounds like ontologies are the scaffolding that you can use to basically build a moat around it, right? Because the technology like- is not, right, is not novel anymore. That's right. Um, so in your opinion, what are some of the most critical aspects of ontologies yeah. you know, that companies should focus on when they're trying to integrate yeah. AI into yeah. their process? That's a great question. And the first thing to do is start with a specific set of use cases. This is a bottom-up mm. process, right? It can feed mm. master data, but master data projects that start with trying to boil the ocean and fix the world mm-hmm. usually fail. But what right. we start with is we start with process analysis. What is the process that we need to impact or improve? And when you look at uh, most processes that are important to the organization, it's really things that are uh, either enhancing the customer experience, uh, generating revenue, or improving operations in some way, improving operational efficiency. So what we need to do is we need to understand that process, right? Because AI is not going to solve the whole problem. AI is going to have an intervention in a specific step of a process. That's what people need to understand. It's a very granular type of an approach, right? And mm-hmm. and what you'll find is I attended a workshop the other day. Um, uh, I was speaking. I was coached. I was chairing the AI Accelerator Institute conference in San Jose last week, and one of the presenters was was from a video uh, conferencing company. And what was so interesting is you don't think of a lot of AI in there. But they use right. machine learning in very specific parts of the process in mm. a way that combined transformed the entire experience. But it wasn't gotcha. a it wasn't a big picture like, oh, AI is going to do this. It was like machine learning is going to help target uh, the camera at a particular speaker. It's going to mm. help to uh, uh, change the way the uh, microphone array is, is picking up uh, in, uh, no, uh, sound. It's going to change the way... Mm. The um, the machine learning is going to filter out extraneous noise. It's going to do a lot Mm -hmm. of little things. So when you think about your process, you have to break it down into granular pieces to say, where is that intervention? And so, for example, I think the customer journey is a great place to start, right? Mapping your Mm -hmm. customer journey, your customer lifecycle, and then saying at each stage of that journey, what information do, do people need, right? What do they need to move them to the next stage of the journey? And what we want to do is we want to anticipate that and we want to surface it. And so when we look at building an ontology, we want to understand that process and want to look at all of the elements that will enable that process. Because we don't want to start with, again, a grand galactic Uber you know, <laughs> uh, ontology, although you can get there. We want to start with a narrow focus You want to have a broad look at this from a domain model perspective to say, Mm -hmm. what are the other big buckets for the organization? 
But then in our process, we dig very deeply and we get very granular. And so you start building out the information structures and the terminology and the preferred terms and the non-preferred terms to power a very specific part of that process. So imagine you're defining your customer. You can define your customer in metadata terms along that journey. So you can define who they are, what industry they're from, what their interests are. And then as they go through their journey, the the digital body language, their real-time responses Mm. to stuff, their searches, their click-throughs, their navigation, all that becomes what's called digital body language, right? We're reading their signals and we get signals from across all of the technologies that the customer touches. When you have those signals and you interpret them, you have to reconcile them. They have to be mapped together. We need the right ontology to describe that customer because there's lots and lots of different dimensions. There can be hundreds of dimensions around a customer uh, when you get into the level of granularity. And then you need to define the content and the information that they need at that point in time. So you're defining a content model, you're defining a customer data model, you're defining a knowledge model. And what you're doing is you're using those signals to decide how to present information. And what you want to do is take baseline metrics of that process, say conversion from one stage to another, or you know, uh, downloading a white paper, or doing a product comparison, or you know, putting something in their shopping cart. You want to look at that metric and say, how can we improve that? How can we reduce drop-offs or reduce pogo sticking? And what you're doing is you're building a baseline, you're building the uh, ontology around the, the information structures that need to support that user, and you're using that to design that user experience and that uh, content that will be surfaced. And then you can use machine learning to optimize pieces of this. You can you componentize that content so that you can vary the different elements of messaging. You can have a different hero image. You can have a different call to action, different value proposition, different target, right? All of those things become components that can be rearranged and the ontology drives that, right? So what you're doing is you're looking at a very specific process and you're defining the steps to that process and then the information needs at each step to that process and then what the baseline metrics are and what you hope to impact. And with that, you have to design all of the information structures. So building the ontology would start with that specific set of processes. If you had a procurement problem or a supply chain problem, you would do the same thing. You would map out those processes. I like to say you can't automate what you don't don't understand, right? Mm. And you can't automate a mess. So the first thing to do when people say, oh, our process is terrible. Well, we have to understand Mm. the process. We have to map that process. Then we need to map the data dependencies in that process. Then we need to have a hypothesis about what intervention will help us improve that efficiency or that effectiveness. And then we build the information structures with all of the different dimensions, the different facets, the different entities, the different metadata structures. And all of those are derived as part of the ontology development, right? It's information architecture, it's data architecture, it's content architecture, it's customer uh, attribute uh, architecture, but they're done in such a way that they have a cohesiveness and a holistic approach to understanding that information landscape of the organization. So it's a little bit different than the way other types of projects work. And then as you expand to different parts of the organization or different processes or different applications or platforms, you start with that basic ontology and you expand it. And, and it's also driven by use cases. So again, mm-hmm. if you have a, a use case, if you have a term and you're trying to decide whether you need it or not, you have to have a use case, right? You have to have mm-hmm. a purpose. So use right. libraries of use cases are also critical to developing ontologies. Interesting. I got it. So it's really just about biasing yourself towards what's going to move the needle, exactly. right? So in order to do that, you have to have a structure. You have to kind of get down into the nitty gritty and really see where the process is and exactly. isn't working, yes. benchmark, and then make those clear kind of you know figures where you know if this is actually improved. That's right. The you're, you're taking the baseline. You're you're making an intervention. You have to have a hypoth- hypothesis about well, right. 
you know, why are people bouncing out? Well, or maybe mm-hmm. there's not enough information on the on a product landing page and they're not clicking through mm-hmm. the product detail. Page. Maybe we don't have the right attributes. Maybe we don't have the right navigation structure, right? Maybe we don't have the right content. Maybe they found mm-hmm. what they need and they're calling up for an order, right? You know, you got to understand right. that whole journey and then deconstruct it and then say, what can we do to intervene? But the ontology mm-hmm. is really the knowledge scaffolding. It's the framework for everything because we need to be holistic. We've got to get away from silos and content mm-hmm. created in the silo. If we want to build cognitive assistance or, uh, um, you know, AI for content operations, well, it should just be content operations, right? And you mm-hmm. need lots of different uh, purposes. There's one company that we work with that handles 2 million knowledge transactions per day using this approach, using these ontologies, using a content model, a component content model that breaks their content up into pieces that are semantically meaningful chunks. Those chunks can be used to answer specific questions, but what they use it for is they use it for marketing campaigns. They use it Mm. for channel partners, for distributors, for field service. They use it for customer self-service. They use it for the call center, use it for email campaigns. They use it for everything and they use it to power their bots. Because bots need a component system. They need to have chunks of content. And when you start looking at uh, something like ChatGPT, it breaks that content up into components. And whenever you Mm -hmm. look at at, uh, uh, examples or tutorials of developers saying that this needs to be done, they talk about chunking, but they chunk Mm -hmm. things in kind of arbitrary lengths of maybe 100 Uh, tokens. A token is like 1.7 characters or something. But the point is they have overlapping frames to make sure that you have some meaning. But what you do is if you author it in a way, if you take like a product manual and you break it into all the components, you know, installation, configuration, troubleshooting, those pieces can be tagged and enriched with metadata about the product, about the error code, about the model, about uh, the step, all of those things. And then ingested with those embeddings, with that metadata into the the data source that the large language model will then use. It'll process the query to understand what that query is. It'll go to the database and retrieve based on a vector representation of the uh, query and the, it's kind of translating question to answer, right? Just like you translate from one language to another. And then it'll process the results to make them more conversational, right? So this is a critical, critical thing. And you do need content architecture. You do need product data architecture. You do need customer uh, attribute architecture. But all Mm -hmm. of those things are working. You know, I had a little bit of an existential crisis when I wrote the book. After I wrote the book, the book is out about three years, right? Mm -hmm. And when ChatGPT came out, I'm like, oh my God, is this still valid? Like, Is this like, is this no longer necessary because Mm. you're using this data approach and it's so brilliant. And I was like, shit, what am I going to do? You know, my, my, my life's work. The more I researched it, the more I looked into it, the more I delved in, the more important this is than ever. And that's what organizations are going to start realizing. They're going to try to do this. They're going to fail because they don't have the right architecture ontologies or Mm. correctly uh, curated knowledge. And that is why this is so important. And you're solving problems today while you're preparing for the future. So it's a very Mm. exciting time. And we are at an inflection point in human history. Mm. And I talk about this in the first chapter of the book. I talk about the fact that we'll be talking to all of our technology in a very conversational Mm. way. And it's happening. It's happening now. And and what's between us and that being fully realized is the data. It's the integration. It's all of those things mm-hmm. that we have to solve. We have to clean up our act around data and content and information. And mm-hmm. then we can do these integrations and we can build these conversational systems. But it is an incredibly exciting time because we are at that point of, of the biggest change in human history. Absolutely. No, I completely agree with you. And that that problem that you mentioned, data silos, it's one that I kind of end up talking a lot about on this podcast I found yeah. Um, cause it is one of the most pressing issues, yeah. right? I mean, if the output is only as good as the input and you're giving it, you know, fractional pieces of right. input, you're going to get a fractionalized result. That's right. Um, That's right. so that being said, and, and, um, and I'll just point out that the yeah. reason for that is because, because there's no, 
overarching vision at a high enough level. Nobody mm-hmm. wants to take on that. That the, the, there's right. very few senior leaders that understand mm-hmm. this to the degree that that they can execute on this. We have executed mm-hmm. every single component of this, and we have not found a company that wants to do all of it together because it's massive. Mm-hmm. But you can make progress in each of these areas. And you can add, right. and those incremental uh, uh, progress points will solve problems today. Mm-hmm. Usually, it ends up being, oh, that's not my department. That's another budget. We're not going to pay right. for it. But somebody has to look at the greater good of the organization and say, what Absolutely. do we need to be successful and sustain our competitive advantage in the future? And that's why mm-hmm. we need a, a leader with vision and the ability to take a risk and the ability to right understand what needs to be done to make this work because as soon as their competitors get it they're going to be mm-hmm. it's going to be too late for them and and right. this will be existential for organizations i was talking uh, in one of my uh, i wrote in my book and i have been talking about a company that we worked with many years ago where um <clears throat> they used they they were uh, an education company they were using serving the k through 12 market and they were getting beaten to market by 6 months by one of their competitors And they're like, the CEO is like, why is this happening? I did some research and I found out this competitor was using a component authoring database, right? Mm. And this is many years ago. And they were able to assemble together the right curriculum, the, you know, a rough textbook uh, draft, Mm. you know, for a particular level, a particular topic, a particular set of uh, curriculum objectives and so on and standards and so on. And then they could prepare that much, much faster. And that got mm. them ahead in the sales cycle. And the CEO said, wow, well, okay, why don't we have that? And the, their team was, that's the project we've been trying to get funded for the past three years. <laughs> and it keeps getting kicked down right. the can, kicked down the road. Right. <clears throat> and the CEO is, well, great, let's do it now. How long it will take? Well, it's going to take at least mm. a year and there's mm. going to be another year ahead of us. And actually they failed. They lost that market. Wow. They they were wow. put out of business by that particular innovation, which should have been mm-hmm. obvious to them, but the, right. the executives didn't understand it. They didn't put funding into it. They didn't see it. And they didn't have the vision to say, this is going to be existential for us. Mm-hmm. So you're going to find that the companies that don't do this are going to have right. their future threatened. Now, they, there's so many behemoths out there that have massive mm-hmm. scale and, and, and ability, but they will be re- disrupted. They will be right. disrupted. So this is, right. this is stuff that is critical to future competitive mm-hmm. advantage. Absolutely. So that was a great example of kind of what can go wrong in the mm-hmm. circumstance, right? Um, what would be kind of your advice for a company who is seeing, you know, where things are headed, knows yeah. that this is kind of what they need to cross over and achieve, yep. um, but they're seeing that their data is super, you know, it's it's siloed off. There's no connection. How would you, yeah. you know, recommend them going about kind of getting that all integrated? Well, it, it, it becomes very daunting, uh, mm-hmm. especially when you look at it as a whole. Again, I come back to the process, right? Mm-hmm. What is the most important process that we want to impact? And what that does is it, it bounds the problem, right? It limits mm-hmm. the scope. It says if it's the customer experience, and I like customer, or it could be the employee experience, right? Mm-hmm. How do employees get their answers? And you can have, you know, tremendous, there's a partner of ours called People Rain we work with, where we focus specifically on employee help desk. And there's mm-hmm. tremendous, tremendous value in looking at how people get their day-to-day problems solved. So you can move the needle there, right? And you can use that as a catalyst. You can also look, again, as I say, at the customer experience or any process. It could be order to cash. It could be, uh, <clears throat> you know, proposal development. It could be, um, you know, anything around the supply chain optimization or distributors or, you know, field service, right? But you have to pick a domain and then you have to focus on that mm-hmm. domain. Understand what your outcome is going to be. Again, I want to improve my e-commerce conversions. I want to improve my findability. Well, let's assess where you are. Let's Mm -hmm. look at the state of your data. Let's look at the structure of your catalog. And let's look at areas where we can optimize, right? And then that begins that process. And then you can start adding tools and technologies to facilitate that. And, Mm -hmm. and, And so whenever you're trying to look at these things, you have to look at something That's either going to support the customer or support a person who supports the customer, right? Right. It could be engineering change order requests. It could be, you know, design management. It could be quality control. It could be any of these areas, but we have to start 
with a focused set of problems. And what we're doing is we're building the foundation. We're starting with a very tangible area that is measurable. And then Mm -hmm. once we start building that out, we start getting some successes. We get some quick wins. We, we get the attention of the organization. They see that it's possible. They see what the outcomes can be. And you build this kind of grassroots. But you also have to have a top-down mm-hmm. vision to support this over time and to get the different mm-hmm. groups to play nice together and to get right. the different consultancies that you might have uh, uh, mm-hmm. to play nice together. Because some of those consultancies don't solve the problem. It's just right. pushing it down the road. They, they they like the status quo because they get an annuity mm-hmm. from it. Call center services companies are like that. Many of the big uh, consultancies and agencies are like that. Right. They don't necessarily solve the problem at the root. So it becomes an mm-hmm. evergreen problem that comes up year after year after year. You spend money, maybe you get a little mm-hmm. bit of movement. You, go, you deploy a new platform. Maybe there's a, a, an improvement sh- short term uh, because it's a fresh environment, but then over time it gets messy because there's no governance and there's no structure, there's no formalized decision making, there's no there's no metrics to measure the impact. So again, you know, when you are tackling these things, you have to be very thoughtful about the outcome that you're looking for, and you have to be able to trace that back to data and information sources and processes. And one of the things that we look at, we build maturity models for organizations in multiple areas. So there's knowledge management maturity, there's e-commerce maturity, there's customer experience maturity, there's product data maturity, there's content management, uh, content operations maturity, uh, customer journey uh, maturity, all these areas of analytics and product data maturity, all these areas. And what it, this these maturity models do is they tell you where your gaps are. So for example, if you we have a, a, a process for doing personalization at scale, through orchestration of content, the product data, knowledge and expertise and insights from across the organization along that customer journey, right? Mm -hmm. And what that does is it requires, if you want to do this at scale successfully, that means you need maturity in each of these areas. And the maturity includes things like, you know, governance, things like metrics, information architecture, integration, but also the process maturity. So for example, we built a personalization architecture for a company and it was beautiful and it would have the ability to differentiate different customer types and, and present content for them in the context of their journey. And uh, it worked wonderfully. At the end of the day, they were like, well, what messaging should we send to this customer? How do we differentiate from this one to this one? They did not know that. Mm -hmm. They did not have enough knowledge of customer needs to offer personalized content. They could do it mechanically and technically, but they didn't Mm -hmm. have the process maturity. So that's Uh where you have to say, I need to make sure that I have the technical maturity, but I have the process maturity, that I have the expertise Mm -hmm. to do this, right? So in many cases, there are bottlenecks or gotchas or or gaps that people are not aware of. And so one of the things we do is we do these assessments. We have a knowledge management assessment for generative AI. Is your knowledge ready for generative AI? If not, what do you need to do to fix it? And we build a pilot, a POC, as part of that process and a plan and a remediation plan. And those are and these are things to just say, look, what do you need to have in place to be successful? Right. You can't just jump into these things without having that understanding of your landscape and understanding mm-hmm. of those processes and those dependencies and those data sources. Data catalogs are another important area where you want to start to democratize the use of data. People need to be aware of what data you have, who owns it, who has access to it, who can leverage it, what kinds of algorithms have been written with it what the dependencies are, what the downstream impact of changes might be, mm-hmm. and what rights you have to that data. So so all of these things are foundational elements so that you can apply the latest technology. Because if you don't have these elements, you're not going to be successful. And that's why all going right. from POC to, pilot, to, to deployment and production mm-hmm. is very difficult. In a POC, mm-hmm. you have the luxury of, of you know, carefully nurturing your data and fixing it and cleansing it and making sure it's right. And, you know, this artisan approach to making, uh, to having clear, complete uh, and accurate and quality data. Then you go to production. You don't have that. 
right? Right. So right. all sorts of things change. But if you fix those problems at the core, at the source, at the root, then you'll be able to deploy these things. But if you don't, you're just mm -hmm. going to be chasing your tail. You're going to be wasting a lot of money and right. you're not going to get the outcomes you need. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I've been kind of floored just from my experience seeing both startups, which you would kind of expect, but also large enterprise businesses have such a um, inconsistent approach to data, yeah. right? To the processes behind data, yeah. especially. Um, it's been kind of one of the big things that I've been trying to focus on with my team is how do we make sure that, you know, our data process is as automated, mm -hmm. as hands-off, but also as consistent mm -hmm. and processized as possible. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um so one thing that I'm I'm interested in is, you know, for the companies that are able to make this pivot, are able to to get their data in line, what is the biggest change that you see, you know, this these new AI technologies actually enabling yeah. uh, for such companies? Well, there's call deflection, right? So, you know, when you think about why do people call the call center in the first place, it's usually because something is broken. You can't get an answer. So they pick up the phone. So if we go upstream and we say, how can we make the information more accessible and, and available to our customers and answer questions? People don't want to read through 50-page documents, right? We used to mm -hmm. give them a, a document of some sort or a policy or a 25-page PDF. Maybe your answer is right there in, the, in one little sentence, right? But you can't mm -hmm. slog through all of this. So that's why people pick up the phone because there's too much of a cognitive load on, on right. the customer, that they don't want to go through, right? So we reduce the cognitive load by exposing the answers and we do that conversationally. So when we ask mm -hmm. a question, we're very carefully curating and defining the answer. So this is how content should be created. Content is not created this way. It's created, right. I, I, went, I once worked with a Medicare administrative contractor, right? Mm -hmm. It's an insurance company that manages Medicare and Medicare claims. Well, they had a 25 person content team. Okay. And all that content team did was produce content every week mm -hmm. from all the regulations that were coming out of, you know, Medicare and Medicaid. And I, I was blown away. It's like, why, why would you need all of this? What is this? And I would, and I went into a workshop with them and I had a pile of the content and I picked up a piece and I said, what is this? Who is it for? Mm -hmm. Why will they read it? Right. No one could answer that question. <laughs> no one could answer the question. They just created right. content every week because that's what their job was. And nobody thought what problem mm -hmm. they're trying to solve. And I think, you know, I just did my passport renewal. There mm -hmm. was 10 pages of instructions that could have been boiled down into five bullets. There were right. 10 pages of instructions. Like, <laughs> why do you need to explain in endless right. detail on and on and on? You know, when you, mm -hmm. when I need a photograph, you know, to, to apply to this, right? right? It's like, it's ridiculous. And people don't yeah. think that way. They don't communicate that way. They don't want to consume mm -hmm. information that way. So when totally. we curate content, when we look at content operations for AI, that should be content operations, period. Mm -hmm. That's how we should be creating content. What do people need? Right. I had an, a credit card that I was trying to activate and I lost the number on, the, on it mm -hmm. and I used their bot on the site. Mm -hmm. And it went on and on about credit cards and applications and about this and about that and, and, and about accounts and about other offers. And it was pages and pages and pages. And I couldn't get, I just wanted to activate the credit card. I, I, I couldn't get to that one little point. I just needed that phone number, right? So, so right. the point here is when it's done right, it leads mm -hmm. to call deflection, reduce, it reduces call center volume. It increases customer satisfaction. It improves efficiencies, right? It's and this is just a cognitive aspect. You know, when you're doing other things like predictive, you know, analytics, or you're trying to do say predictive maintenance, and a lot of this came from our analytics world, right? We've been doing, you know, banks and insurance companies have been doing pre predictive analytics for forever, right? And now it's called, mm -hmm. and they've used machine learning processes, and now it's called AI, right? We've been doing text analytics forever, and it used to be called. Mm -hmm you know, text analytics, entity extraction, you know, uh, sentiment analysis, and now it's called AI. That's fine. Auto categorization, it's all called AI. That's fine. Mm -hmm. But the point is that when you do this effectively, you can get mm -hmm. tremendous improvements in processes and customer satisfaction. And you can also eliminate the acts of heroics upstream, meaning when you want to create a customer experience, many times there are people working 
sending things back and forth via email. They're, they're mm-hmm. you know, asking questions. They're looking for the latest version. They can't find stuff. They recreate it. Product launches take forever. All of those things can be optimized, not just using, you know, and I think we, we're going to start forgetting about the term AI, right? It's just going to be programming. It's just going to be mm. saying we're using AI is like saying we're using computers, right? right. It's so broad. Right. I mean, you know, a colleague of mine said, we're not, you know, it used to be no AI ever worked because as soon mm. as it worked, they called it something else. That was 20 years right. ago, right? Word right. processing was one of the first incarnations of AI because it took human mm. expertise and it translated into a, a, uh, a program that could make decisions and perform layout uh, uh, according uh, along the lines of a human expert, right? That was called AI but at first, but then when it worked, it was called word processing, right? Mm-hmm. We don't say, right. I'm going to open up my AI and, and create this document. No, you're using right. word, speech recognition, totally. you know, any type of spell check. All of mm-hmm. those things are part of AI, but it gets subsumed right into the tools. It becomes part mm. of the fabric of the organization. That's what we're going to be seeing. And we're going to be seeing more of that integrated again into processes where it won't be visible for that conference and for that, uh, 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 for that conference, I think it was Jabra uh, that we're doing the conference uh, immersive conference uh, calling system, right? The video conferencing, mm. mm-hmm. they, their AI was invisible, but all you knew is you had a great experience, right? Like right. The camera was on the right person and you could see the whole room and they corrected for parallax and they corrected for image distortions and they and they uh, suppressed noise and they, they amplified certain sounds at certain frequencies. All of that stuff was invisible, right? Mm-hmm. There was no AI, as, at, uh, at, 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 you know, quote unquote, in the mm-hmm. application. It wasn't an AI application. It was an AI application. It was a right. machine learning driven application that had AI mm-hmm. woven throughout it, right? Yeah. And that's what we're going to see. It's more and more uh, invisible, embedded into mm-hmm. the applications. It's been used that way for years. Search. Search has used machine mm-hmm. learning algorithms for the past 20 years, right? Right. You know, uh, any type of clustering, any type of entity extraction, all of those things. So now, you know, everybody's pivoting to uh, generative AI, and that's a big deal. Right. Because these models are so important, but they're doing it without the foundation. They're doing it without mm. truly understanding the needs for information hygiene, information management mm. hygiene. You still need data hygiene. You still need information hygiene. You can do wonderful things like personalization. You can personalize right. the employee experience. You can personalize the customer experience by reading that digital body language you can do for an internal customer or an external customer Mm -hmm. and anticipating what they're needing and giving it to them while they're in their process. But that requires understanding their process, understanding their interests. It requires the ability to uh, create the right content, to tag that content, to componentize it, to build those Mm -hmm. questions and to surface it in the context of their work process. So these efficiencies are going to be, vast and tremendous. And the company I mentioned, the tech company that handles $2 million transactions per day, say they've saved hundreds of millions of dollars per year based on the work that we did for them. Because And they run with it. And this has been like seven years and they're still using the same uh, structure and the same approach and the same governance and same metrics. Mm-hmm. We, we built uh, one of the first virtual assistants for Allstate Business Insurance. Okay. It was Allstate Business Insurance Expert or Abby the same content is still being used. They're using different front ends, different uh, technologies, but the same core content processes are being used, the same content models, the same components, right? So these Mm -hmm. things become assets that increase in value over time and that are durable, right? And that that you can use over and over again, but they have to be done at the right foundational level. We saved applied materials $50 million per year in field service, uh, class wow. because they were reducing the amount of time that their field service employees were look, searching for information. That was mm-hmm. that was the AI we used was machine learning, auto categorization, entity an entity extraction, right? And but we did the integration using an ontology, and the ontology was critical to this. They had tried the project three times in the prior five years before we did this, mm-hmm. and each time they failed. And so when we met with the CFO and said to the CFO, he's, he's like, "Why do we need?" taxonomies? Why do we need ontologies? Why don't we just get Google, right? And I said, do you have a chart of accounts for your finance organization? 
I said, of course I do. I said, why don't you get rid of your chart of accounts and just get Google? <laughs> because a taxonomy is a chart of accounts for knowledge. Right. Right? I mean, it would right. be ridiculous. You can't do totally. that. So how do you differentiate knowledge? How do you differentiate information? Mm -hmm. How do you differentiate cost customers? How do you differentiate right. all of these things? And too mm -hmm. often, unstructured content has not been considered the high value asset that it is. That is the mm -hmm. core of the organization, the knowledge, the expertise, the IP. That's what organizations compete on, right? right. It's how to get to market, what your solutions do, your, your proprietary code, your proprietary mm -hmm. designs, your expertise about the solutions and about the competitors and, and about the customer needs and about your and your creativity. And there'll always be that need for human creativity to solve those problems. And it's right. capitalizing on those and codifying them and, and, and uh, organizing them and making them available to people in the right context, right? That's yeah. that holy grail of the right information for the right person at the right time. But when we do that, there are tremendous efficiencies that are vastly out of scale. That $50 million a year savings cost about a million dollars. Okay. Wow. And the same thing with Allstate, that was about a, a six month or year project cost about a million dollars. And it, uh, it, it reduced the call center volume at the time by 20%, which is an unheard of number, right? Wow. But there were lots of re other reasons for that. It was a new product launch, et cetera, but it still had a tremendous impact. So what you're That's seeing right. In these projects that are done effectively is we're seeing enormous paybacks, but they have to mm. be done correctly and they are a journey. And again, the companies that do this stuff and get it right today are going to have mm. a sustainable competitive advantage that it will be difficult for, for competitors to catch up with if they start now and if they do it effectively. So it's a right. wonderful field. It's scary because mm -hmm. people are not sure where to invest the money. They're not sure mm -hmm. what's going to work. They're throwing a lot of stuff against the wall. There's a methodology mm -hmm. uh, to doing this where you can right. do small-scale experiments and you can start getting your, your data house in order and you can start showing what those improvements will be. That's why those POCs are so important. That's why those assessments are so important. That's why that maturity models are so important. They show right. you where you are, where you need to be, and what those gaps are. Some people don't like maturity models. Fine. Oh, mm -hmm. to me, they, it's a starting point. It's a current state. And then it's, and what describes your current state? You know, it is, is it yeah. acts of heroics. Is it, you know, uh, decision-making fiefdoms? Is it, you know, uh, uh, content chaos, right? Mm -hmm. uh, we had someone call their search uh, uh, service a random document generator because <laughs> they would get different <laughs> results each day whatever when they put oh, in wow. the same request. But the point here is, you have to know where you are and you have to know where you need to be and what those enabling processes and enabling capabilities will be. Once you have that, you can set out a roadmap with very realistic uh, expectations or realistic uh, uh, capabilities over time with understandable investments. But until you understand that, you know, it's, it's very difficult to set out on a course that you will be confident in. I see. makes a ton of sense. Um, I do see that we're running a little bit tight on time here, Seth. Um, but uh, I did want to ask you just, you know, for that uh, that leader at an organization who is hesitant to, you know, adopt these new technologies mm -hmm. to undertake that process that you mentioned, mm -hmm. what would be your, uh, your advice to that person? My advice would be um, that it's going to be existential for the organization, mm -hmm. that this is not a nice to have. This is a need to have. Doesn't mean, you know, freak out and, you know, spend tons of money. It means, you know, investigate this with a clear headed approach. You should always understand what the vendor is offering you. Right. Mm -hmm. And they say, if they say it's proprietary and we can't tell you, well, you at least need to know what the inputs are and what the outputs are. And you need to know how they've trained their algorithms. If they're applying AI, you need to understand the process analysis. Start with the things that you know, start mm -hmm. with the things that you understand you understand your business. You understand right. your capabilities. You understand what your customers need. You understand what you need to do down the road. Start with that and look at that end state and then start initiating, you know, experiments, right? Fix the data, understand the process, initiate experiments. And that's what you have to start with. You can do brainstorming sessions. We do, 
we do, um, you know, knowledge strategy. I mean, uh, AI strategy assessments and workshops, and they can be done very quickly. You just get everybody on the same page. You level set, you give them the right knowledge so that everybody understands things. And executives, you want to share knowledge in a way that is not threatening, right? You want to make sure mm-hmm. they understand that, hey, I'm, uh, you know, this is, this is stuff you probably know, but let's go over it anyway. And you want to share the right. knowledge so they don't feel threatened by it, right? So you have to be nice. very cognizant of that. But you have to get your executive team on the same page, get them aligned. And a lot of the large consultancies are trying to do this, but many of them don't understand the necessary pieces. You know, we go in after a lot of the big, you know, consulting uh, organizations and, you know, we find that they're not being as innovative as they need to be. And they're not necessarily laying the groundwork for success or building realistic roadmaps. So I say, you know, begin with an end state in mind, you know, understand your organization's maturity and capabilities, understand those processes that are so important, and then start investigating from there. And if anybody won't tell you what the inputs and outputs are or how the algorithm mm-hmm. works, you know, just move on, right? Because because they yeah. at least have to put it in business terms that you understand. You may not understand how the algorithm right. works because many times people don't understand how the algorithm works within terms of neural networks. But you can understand what the inputs, what the outputs, you can understand the training data, and you can understand the parameters and what the expectations are. And then you experiment with your data and your process. I see. Makes sense. Makes sense. All about tailoring it down to your own business. Absolutely. Perfect. Well, Seth, thank you so much for this. Um, So much great information here. Um, Just so that everybody knows, Seth Early, CEO at Early Information Sciences and writer of the AI-powered enterprise. Please go check it out. And it's Seth, it's Early spelled E-A-R-L-E-Y. Uh, so my, you can reach me at Seth at early.com or you can look for me at LinkedIn. I'm just Seth early. Uh, so feel free to reach out and I'd be happy to uh, get a copy of my book out to folks that uh, write me in the next uh, week or two. And uh, so again, write a note to Seth at early.com first name at last name.com reference this uh, podcast and put your mailing address in and I will have, be happy to send a signed copy out uh, to the first uh, I would say 10 uh, uh, folks that uh, that I get. So I Amazing. A, I have to put a cap on it. Maybe maybe 15. Awesome. Maybe 15. All right. Thank you for having totally me, I really appreciate it. It was great to... Oh, it's my you. pleasure. All right. Take care. Thank you so much, Seth. You bet. Thank you for listening to another episode of Future of Product Podcast. A special thanks to my amazing guest, Seth. If you enjoyed this episode and want to learn more about what I do over at Player Zero, you can find us at playerzero.ai. If you're looking to go even deeper on the subjects we talk about in the pod, subscribe to Future Product on Substack and be sure not to miss this Thursday's newsletter. Plus, be sure to email Seth to get a free signed copy of his book, The AI-Powered Enterprise. Can't wait to see you next.